You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I feel like the fashion shows, particularly you mentioned McQueen, the ones that you remember are the ones that really touch some an emotional core. And you know, McQueen shows were were deeply emotional. One thing that struck me when I started writing about fashion is how it was low man on the totem pole. And I was always laughing when some beer moth who wrote about football or something would give me a hard time because I was writing about fashion like I was a lesser species. Everyone feels like they have to be really careful right now in the way that they articulate themselves and expressing themselves and experimenting. And fashion is really a place where particularly men can be playful and they can make mistakes and they can experiment. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF Podcast. We are about to enter a fashion week season unlike any other. So what better time to sit down with some of the industry's most noted critics and journalists to explore the past, present, and future of this event that has traditionally made the industry go round, the fashion show. So we welcome our own editor-at-large, Tim Blanks, the Washington Post's fashion critic, Robin Givan, and American GQ's Rachel Tashian, and our own executive editor, Lauren Sherman, a noted fashion journalist in her own right, to go inside fashion. 
thank you all for being here. I, I'm super grateful. I know you're all busy and probably planning your coverage for for September. I think the first question is, what what are you all planning? You all attend the shows. You write about the shows. You 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 know are masters of of fashion. What are you going to do this fall, Robin? Are you going to go to the shows in Europe, or are you gonna are you going to even go to the shows in New York? Um, well, I've been saying that everything's a little bit fluid. Um, the plan right now is um, that yeah, I'll come go up to New York, um, and you know. I, I don't really know how much there will be to physically see. Um, that's still sort of to be determined. But I think that it's important to to go to New York if possible and to give people a sense of um, not only what is happening with Fashion Week, but also what's not happening, like what's gone missing. So um, that's going to be sort of the challenge and, you know, with the, the couture shows, which I normally don't cover, I, I did write about because it, they were online, they were all digital. So I think it's, uh, you know, I'll sort of write about the way that um, fashion is unfolding at this time. Um, but it'll be a very different kind of writing experience. It'll be a very different kind of um, season. And, you know, I'll change my um, format accordingly. You know, I don't think it makes sense to, you know, review, quote unquote, a show because I don't think it's really, um, so far I haven't really seen a situation in which the clothes and the technology and the messaging comes through in a really forceful um, eloquent way. If that should happen, then yeah, I would write about that, but I'm not sort of planning it that way. Yeah. I want to talk about the audience's general appetite and interest in, in runway shows and how that has changed over the years. But first, Tim, you know, what are your plans so far? And, and, you know, adding on to what Robin was talking about, how did how was the experience of covering Couture for you? Uh, I I felt that um, I felt that sequence of shows and the sequence of shows are kind of like placeholders because I I still don't feel anyone really knows where we are and probably this is a conversation that might be more nuanced in January or probably March. Um, I um, felt covering the men, because I, I, I watched all the men shows and the uh, couture shows. And in the end, the, the things that were most, um, most uh, stimulating were the, the people who just went outside the box, you know, Jonathan Anderson with his boxes. He went inside the box and I think created the two experiences that were the most um, uh, surprising and illuminating um, responses to 
the sort of exigencies of the moment. But then there was a lot of there were a lot of other things that I that I um, that I did like. I thought that I'm a, such a show show hound. I mean, I I would be the voice probably of the distant past in this debate um, for everything that fashion shows mean in fashion. And they mean almost everything in fashion um, to an enormous degree. So I, um, I don't know, I lost myself there. My train of reason periodically derails. Oh, can I just, can I just piggyback onto what Tim was saying about Jonathan Anderson? Um, I, I agree. I was completely charmed and, delight, and infatuated with his show in a box. And when I thought about the reason why I found it so compelling, I, I realized that, you know, one thing that he did was, you know, I, I felt like there was such a reliance on technology and um, there was this overwhelming sort of sense of how can we make the most of technology so that in a lot of circumstances, I felt like what I was watching was a display of technology as opposed to a display that connected you to the clothes. And there was something, and so Jonathan's show in a box was like very low tech. I mean, it was basically, you know, a FedEx delivery, but what it really tapped into was the desire for something tactile, the desire for something that felt personal, the desire for something that felt that it was meant for you that you could hold that wasn't you know a digital zoom aloof distant thing and it also just sort of reminded i think it sort of took you back to the reason that so many people whether designer or retailer came into this business was because it was really fundamentally about the clothes and everything else sort of got out of the way and i'm not saying that everyone should sort of uh, sort of uh, copy that idea, but I do think that the underlying philosophy that kind of led to that interpretation of it um, is definitely something that that I think is is very useful for people to consider. It, it was funny because it was actually, for all its naivety, it was actually a celebration, the most sophisticated celebration of craft. Which, which is what fashion is. So I thought that his boxes for both himself and Loewe were a true celebration of why we love fashion, because it had everything that you've ever loved about your favorite fashion show. You know, wit and color and imagination. And it was really, I've been thinking about, you know, that you know, Marcel Duchamp did his entire career in a box. Remember he did that box with all his, all his masterpieces this big. It, that kind of works for so many things. Um, you, you're not diminishing fashion. You're, you're actually expanding its uh, ability to connect with everyone because everyone could get that box. You know, every household in the world could get that Lueve box. And there's fashion. There's everything you loved about fashion. But I thought what was interesting is the things that I responded to most from that last little stretch 
were the naive things, which used technology in an incredibly naive way. Mihari Yasu, all the Japanese designers actually, Mihari Yasuhiro with his sock puppets, it was so poignant. I mean, way more poignant than seeing, sitting through his fashion show. And in the end, I thought I was gonna hate, I was thought I was just gonna feel a little bit detached from it all, but I was surprised how engaged, how often I was engaged by things I was looking at. Um, and, and when I see this, what's coming up for the next little stretch of shows, how people are, there are people who are planning purely digital presentations. There are people who are planning a mix of physical and digital. There are people who are doing purely physical presentations, streamed, I guess. Um, I, I, I'm, I just imagine it will be the same kind of thing as before. I think it's nice when technology has turned to sort of naive purposes. It, it, it kind of works for me. Although I thought the other show that was really fantastic was Galliano's Margella show, mm. which was, as, as Robin was saying, a display of technology. And I thought did a nice job of sort of showing the way in which Couture itself is a kind of display of technology. Um, that felt like a bit of like a Nick Knight magnum opus. So it was, it's interesting. I think, you know, um, I really found that I there was this added level to my job, which was uh, assessing the sort of creative integrity of, you know, these designers running at the idea of doing a digital show. And they responded to that, you know, in some ways that were more naive, in some ways that were, were very um, florid and chaotic, um, and then many things in between. That was a good example of a show which used technology to celebrate the hand, because all the time you saw hands doing things. Mm -hmm. It was... Even texting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All the time it was about the hand. And I think that's why, that's, that's where the things that worked work best and reminding you of what fashion is essentially a creation of, you know, the human hand, coupled with, of course, the, the brain. But. What did you all think of the Hermes digital show? Because the, the, the thing that, that, we haven't talked about is the commercial element of it. And I thought it was a nice commercial presentation. Whereas it's, it's interesting because all of the things you're talking about, to me, the, the work that Jonathan Anderson did seemed to take an incredible amount of work, probably more than when you don't have the structure of a runway show, what do you, what do you do? And, to me, it really kind of divided the creators that were able to cross over that that bridge and do something more and different. Because every season, all of these designers are trying to do something do different, do something different. But it is, when it comes down to it, that same structure. And, and it did feel like this really separated the wheat from the chaff in some ways in terms of how they reacted to this whole situation and also to creating something that was not in the traditional structure that they were they were used to. I mean, I think sometimes boundaries can be good in a way. I mean, there, there were moments when, you know, certain brands, I, I was just like, I, I don't, I don't need a five part digital experience in order to understand, you know, what you're doing for a season. I don't need a 12 hour live stream of like you're shooting an advertising campaign because basically out of 12 hours, 
11 hours and 30 minutes are basically people standing around and waiting. Um, and I also sort of felt like just as, as a writer trying to cover it, I felt like I there needed I want I wanted the industry to have a beginning and an end to the shows. I didn't want to have to put an artificial end to the shows, you know, sort of close the door down. But there was a certain point at which, you know, we had decided, okay, we're gonna do one sort of big feature about this season. And I had to make a decision that the story is going to run on this day. And therefore the last thing I'm going to look at is on this day. But then things just kept coming over the transom like days and weeks after that. And, you know, unless it's the most groundbreaking thing ever at a certain point, I'm just like, I, I, I can't, I can't write about you anymore. Like you're, it's not an individual story. It's not that intriguing. You just, you've, you've just come in too late. I'm sorry, my deadline's done. I'm finished. <laughs> well, that, that kind of brings me to the question I brought up before, which is, you know, what is your responsibility to the reader? How much do they want to know about this stuff? And, and what do you feel like, it, Robin and Tim, I'm curious, but Rachel also, I, you know, being at, at GQ and, and, in some ways, people are coming to, they'll read anything any of you write. But what is the value of covering these shows? Do Are, are readers interested in them? And if so, how has that interest changed? Like, obviously, they can go see the clothes look like this. So what are you bringing to the conversation that that is making them want to tune in? And, you know, how is that reflected this season in particular? So at GQ, we have like a pretty um, specific understanding of who is reading our runway coverage um, because of, you know, we're a website um, in addition to being a magazine. And so, um, you know, we really do have an understanding that this there's a demographic of mostly young men and some young women who are in their mid-20s to mid-30s, late-30s, who are... Um, following fashion and following the industry in the way that other people might follow sports. And we really do talk about covering fashion in the way that, you know, you might cover sports. There are people who follow Hedy Slimane from house to house, the way that other people follow LeBron from team to team. Um, and so that's kind of how we're thinking about our coverage. And the way that that bears out is that, you know, um, our readers want to know, is this a great season of Prada. And if it's a great season of Prada, what is the grail, if you will? What is the sort of representative piece from this Craig Green collection? Um, what is going to be either something that I can invest in or that I'll really want to, you know, be wearing and could maybe, uh, you know, sell on Grailed or the Real Real or Depop? Um, and again, there's also you know, within these sort of, um, these readers who are really following these designers and industry goings on in this way, um, a lot of them are looking at these secondhand stores and thinking about, okay, who's having a renaissance right now? Who's having a really strong season? If a lot of people are showing this kind of suit, who is it originally referencing and how can I get that suit secondhand? So that's really, like, we're thinking a lot about, um, you know, our reader uh, wants to be confident and um, you know, educated in the purchasing choices that he is making. Um, and our runway coverage is really tailored to fit into that goal. So that's very, that's very uh, service. 
oriented then, would you say? In a certain way. Yeah, I would say in a certain way. But, um, you know, we do have like a, a service element to the site, which is our, our recommends um, page. But um, primarily, I mean, we're writing, it is, I would emphasize that it is about the, the sort of culture of fashion, you know, um, and, and the sort of like noise around the clothes, but of course, also the clothes themselves. Robin, how has your coverage of, of shows changed over the years and the purpose of covering shows, especially, obviously, everyone in the industry reads you, but you have a very consumer audience, I'd say maybe more than any other major critic. When you say cons consumer, you mean just sort of a general audience, yeah? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when when I cover the collections, I mean, one of the things that we've learned is that there's definitely, um, you know, sort of the fashion fan who is very much interested in each and every show, but that's far and away not our primary audience. Um, they're not coming to the Washington Post so that they can see, you know, every look from a particular show in a gallery. Um, our reader is more interested in what does, what did a particular designer's work have to say about the way that our culture is shifting, about the way women's roles are changing, about the power dynamic, um, is there's also an element of, you know, the sheer sort of entertainment and beauty of fashion. Um, if there is a collection that is just sort of exquisite in what a designer has been able to accomplish. Um, you know, our readers are interested in that as a sort of um, representation of fashion as, um, you know, a kind of artful um, endeavor. And, and then there's the, the industry part of it as well, the shifting nature of the business and the way that it relates to our consumption habits, um, the way that it uh, relates to the global economy and who's sort of got the clout, um, you know, and who's just sort of along for the ride. Um, and so I think when the, now that the shows uh, most recently were so digital, um, I, you know, our reader was not coming to sort of know what did, um, you know, Dior look like in, for the season our reader was more interested in uh, the fact that the Dior presentation seemed to have this incredibly tin ear for what has been an enormous shift in terms of representation. And why did Dior, you know, why did Dior look the way that it did, which was almost exclusively white models? And what does that say about Dior's understanding of this moment? What does it say about the way that fashion is um, grappling with um, the social upheaval? So, you know, in writing about the Dior show, I'm obviously, you know, going to talk about the clothes to some degree, but my interest is much more focused on um, sort of what does Dior mean as this cultural institution? Kim, how has your coverage of, of fashion shows changed over the years? It feels like it's got a lot windier. Um, it feels like once uh, when I started, um, everything was a lot more concise and then, uh, I kind of drifted. Um, <laughs> I, I think that, um, I, think that I, I, I write because I've never thought of myself as a fashion person. I'm not from a fashion background. I kind of 
drifted into this by a complete accident, like climbing off an iceberg or something. Um, I write about fashion, like as if I was writing about movies or music or theater or ballet or opera. Um, I've always, one thing that struck me when I started writing about fashion is how it was low man on the totem pole. And I was always laughing when some beer moth who wrote about football or something would give me a hard time because I was writing about fashion, like I was a lesser species. And I think it was always because fashion never had a canon of any kind. You know, there was never the, the exalted Clement Greenberg or whoever from the past who established this so it always seemed to me like fashion needed stories told about it. And um, so I just tell stories, really. Mm. I also think it has a lot to do with the fact that most of the people running those public general publications in particular have been men and old typically and, and don't show an interest. I think that that's still an issue at a lot of big, big important publications where you hear the editor hates yeah. fashion. You never or, hear the editor being hating yeah, or TV or, hates or something or like that. Yeah, that's always, always that, yeah. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. 
The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. What What about for the BOF audience? You know, you've been here for five years. This is your five year five. or six year? Five years this amazing. September. God. I know. I rem- I mean, I remember yeah. the day. Peter <laughs> Pan. Um, I think that uh, I don't. I have no idea. It's interesting because. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you get feedback? Rachel, Robin, do you get a lot of feedback? From readers or also, from my editors? From, readers. You from get readers. feedback from your readers. Yeah. Um, well, yes. Every season, there is the mandatory email from uh, the guy who wants to know why the models aren't smiling. There's the <laughs> mandatory email from the guy who wants to know, oh my God, why do you cover this? No one wears those clothes. I've never ever seen anyone walking down the street looking like that. And often my response is, then you're clearly walking down the wrong streets. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But then there's a completely other um, part of the readership that, you know, is really interested and is fascinated by the culture of fashion. And, and responsive and, to you. And really responsive mm-hmm. and really interested in just sort of the social shifts that fashion represents. And, and that's really gratifying. I mean, there's nothing more gratifying than getting the email from, from a reader that begins with, I'm not interested in fashion, quote unquote. Um, but I thought the story was so fascinating. Mm. And I always try to say to that person, you know, we're all interested in fashion. Maybe there's a particular kind of fashion story that you're not interested in, but we are all deeply invested in how we appear to the world. And that is ultimately what fashion is. So that when I get stuff like that, I mean, it's, it's great. Um, and I will say that also when I write about just sort of the fashion of public figures and such, um, the thing that's always interesting to me is that men are much more likely to respond to a story, um, and, you know, sort of talk about what they were wearing. Um, and then the other thing Mm. I wanted to say, Lauren, when you were talking about just sort of the, you know, the, from that voice from on high saying, oh, I hate fashion, like some editor, I've often thought that so much of the reason why fashion sort of would get short shrift is because it was for so long seen as, you know, the purview of women. And I always thought it was just like a very sexist thing. And sports were sort of seen as the world of men. And particularly like with politics and, you know, politicians were always really happy to talk about their favorite sports team. And, you know, there were all those stories about how you could tell so much about Obama by the way he played basketball. And I'm like, seriously? Um, And I would argue that you can also tell a lot about people by where they prefer to shop and the kind of clothes that they wear. Mm -hmm. So I think even, especially now, like writing about fashion has even more 
sort of social clout because so many more women who felt unheard are finding their voices. And this is an area in which that, that does in many ways still belong very much to women. And I think they should take ownership of that and celebrate it and, and sort of dig in and dig down for those really empowering stories. Okay, that's my, I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to get on for one minute and then Rachel, I want you to, to weigh in. But I always say you can hide your taste in music, you can hide your taste in television, you can hide your taste in cinema, but you cannot hide the way you dress. And I think it makes people deeply insecure and uncomfortable. And so they kind of say, I hate yes, it. Man. I'm not, I don't want to be involved because they feel so vulnerable. And so, I mean, all three of you have, have spent your careers thus far kind of pushing back on that. And it's really admirable. And I'm sure a lot of the people in the audience who are, are listening, you should read all of, all of these writers if you don't already. But, but Rachel, I'm, I'm curious to know from you, you work at a place where being vulnerable and being male is, is like very um, encouraged. Mm -hmm. and, and it's this new way, the new, what the issue you guys did on the new masculinity. How do you see your readers reacting to clothes? And I, I think the men's fashion, consumer fashion scene is so fascinating from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that we're talking about a lot. I mean, I think something that um, that I've certainly found to be the case is that, you know, everyone, and it's not just men, everyone feels like they have to be really careful right now. Um, in the way that they articulate themselves and expressing themselves and experimenting. And fashion is really a place mm. where particularly men can be playful and they can make mistakes and they can experiment. And the, you know, the consequences for wearing something that doesn't look quite right or that doesn't fit are, are okay. You know, it's, it's sort of a safe space uh, to use an overused phrase. Um, and I think it's interesting that the readers who, who we hear from a lot are often readers who are imitating things that they've seen styled in the magazine. Um, we had a lot of readers, uh, you know, doing, we had Robert Pattinson on the cover um, a couple of months ago, uh, uh, sort of quarantined in his apartment in London. And I had a number of GQ readers DM me pictures of themselves dressed like Robert Pattinson. <laughs> um, and I wrote a story for the August issue about archival Armani and what was called Armani's sincere look in the early 90s that was responding to this you know, decade of capitalist excess. And a number of uh, readers have sent me pictures of themselves wearing looks inspired by that or have said, you know, I've gone on the real reel and I found this vintage Armani suit and it's just arrived. Um, the other funny thing is that I do hear from a lot of people who are much younger than me, and I'm in my early 30s, um, who tell me I've got things wrong because there's this huge audience um, of, of these really passionate fashion fanatics, um, a lot of them on what's called high fashion Twitter, who are in their, their teens and their early 20s. And you know, who are aspiring designers or aspiring critics and are really engaged in this debate online about what designer is sort of underrated or misunderstood or, you know, what is the Chanel archive, you know, that Virginie Villard is tapping into. And um, so I hear a lot from those those readers as well who tell me, oh, this is not what Hedy Slimane was doing at all. Um, but so 
So that's kind of who I'm hearing from. That is so, I, I love hearing that because I don't get, I don't get a response. Sometimes I feel like I'm just in a vacuum. I don't ever hear from a soul about anything I do, but kids- Tim, I email you all the time. You do, yeah, <laughs> that's why I love you. But kids do stop me in the street. Kids, I mean, like, we're talking teenagers. Or I've, nobody from my own age group ever says anything about what I do. I don't think they even know what I do. But, um, and, and they actually would say, they would be the people who said you went to Claude Montana shows. You know, they would be the ones who were like, oh my God, what was Terry, what was a Terry Nugler show like? I mean, and of course I'm so happy to be, you know, granddad fashion and sit them around the digital campfire and tell them how incredible these, and this comes back to the premise about the whole fashion show thing. Um, it, it truly is what you're saying, Rachel, that the younger the audience, the more interested they are in everything in the past it's not it's i guess is it gen gen z is it that that just are really absorbed in how everything got to where it is and i found that right through you know because i used to do this tv show that was on all over the world and i still have kids like oh we're from mexico city and we just you know we watched you every saturday morning and and it's just it's always them and it's so Interesting because you really get a sense then of what fashion, what fashions hold on people can be and what it means to them and what they're seeing when they look at a fashion show on YouTube or wherever they're seeing them. But I find that quite, um, that's one thing I do find inspiring about, about doing what I do. Well, I do think that it's funny because that younger a generation, like tw too removed from me, just seems so much more able to fashion their own identity in the way that they choose. And I think fashion is just, is one of the tools that they use so much more freely and so much more enthusiastically than, you know, Gen X did or, or baby boomers did or, or like whatever, you know, like other generations to some degree, even more so than millennials because there's just a tremendous freedom that doesn't, that isn't tethered to, you know, perceptions about gender, about sexuality, about power, all those things free them, I think, to use fashion in really dynamic ways. And information too. I used to watch you, Tim, on E! in the US on weekends at my grandparents because they had cable and we didn't. And that was my exposure, but like there was, there was the internet when I was in middle school, but not really, there were no fashion blogs. There were no, there was not a, as much information. And now they have all that information. I used to buy British Vogue and French Vogue and things like that, but now they have all this information. They can read all of you all the time. And, and I think that that has has opened up that world as well. But if you if you go back and you look at shows from, if you look at a Lacroix show from the late 80s or a Galliano show from the mid 90s or a McQueen show, McQueen is really a, a lodestone in all of this for, for, um, for kids, I think. If you look at them, they, and, and you completely divorce yourself from the fact that you were there or whatever, um, I don't know if you find this, Robin uh, or Rachel, but when you, 
probably not Rachel because he would have been in diapers yeah. back in the time I'm talking about. But um, if you when you look at those shows with virgin eyes, they are so they are such a, they're a vision of an entirely alien time. And they're so, it's like watching a film with Nijinsky dancing or something. They're so magnificent, but also so engaged in, you know, they challenge, they provoke, they're, they're disturbing, um, they're overwhelming. Um, and I can really, I really see that kids looking at them, uh, they see a world that's gone in a way. You know, it's it's like a it's like it's like if somebody dug up a Super 8 camera from the Titanic and you saw this this wonderful whatever it was lost world. Um, it has that kind of poignant kind of tug. I think it does for me. And I I was there, but I'm able to divorce myself from reason when I look at those things. So um, I just wonder if that's a, coming back to the you know coming back to the original notion about the fashion show. But I don't know how you would ever. It's the that that the fashion show was the power of fashion. Um, maybe is. I feel like the the fashion shows, particularly you mentioned McQueen, the ones that that you remember are the ones that really touched some an emotional uh, core, and you know the McQueen shows were were deeply emotional. And, you know, and there are, are, you know, others, maybe a, a dozen or so others that, you know, over the course of many, many years, I still sort of remember what it felt like to be there. Um, you know, but I, I mean, I still think that, I don't know, was it the last Balenciaga show that I saw? It feels like it was 500 years ago. Uh, and the submerged where it felt like you were submerged uh, in the space that was submerged and they were sort of walking on water and it smelled sort of vaguely like I don't know propane flowing into a lake and it was very dystopian and you know I found that so disturbing and incredibly invigorating at the same time which is probably a very twisted reaction but you know it was for me it was definitely one of those you know moments at a fashion show where I just felt like this really sort of rises above a conversation that's just about the clothes and yeah, totally. into something else that yeah. is going to stay with me for a while. Totally. But, but, but going back, I mean, you could go all the way back to just to, just the stillness of fashion shows, that the way fashion shows used to be an hour long and completely kind of like a dream. Like they moved at this somnolent pace and, and, I, I just remember, I guess some of them, I was bored absolutely rigid and wanted to chew my own arm off, but but there were others that were just, I mean, I always think about Claude Montana shows, even though they were two hours late and even though everything about them felt like an abuse of human rights on so many levels, that, that just the absolute quietness, the sort of elegance uh, felt like a strange lesson that you were being given all the time. Um, and and I, I feel that's why, you know, that's what, that's what the, that, that was, a, that was a significance of shows then. And it's still, you still like, you talk about that Balenciaga show, the drowned world, 
I mean, where they just hit this chord and it honestly is like, it's transcendent. It's so funny that you mentioned Claude Montana because I think I've gone to one Claude Montana show in, in my entire life. I had just started covering the fashion industry. I was working for a newspaper in Detroit. And to this day, I still have PTSD from the horrors of that show. It was truly one of those shows that it like in my memoir, it will be an entire chapter of just like public shaming for the sheer pleasure of torturing someone. Mm -hmm. There was that. The question, <laughs> the question that. I have for both of you is, do you remember the clothes from those Claude oh Montana God, shows? Yes. Because the, the Balenciaga show, will you remember the clothes from that show? Less so. I only remember my physical and mental anguish from the Claude Montana show. <laughs> so no, I don't remember the clothes. I do remember so, the clothes from the Balenciaga show. I hope Do you so. think it, it will stick in your mind? For, for Do you think that the Balenciaga show will be one of those 10 years from now still in your top 10 of most memorable, including the clothes? Um, Yes, although I would also say that in all likelihood, I probably will not remember the clothes as clearly 10 years from now, but I do think I will remember the way that I felt in the middle of that show. And that feeling will absolutely inform me about what Balenciaga was in 2020. I'm sure attending shows is important to you to be able to make your reporting complete. But compared to 15 years ago or 20 years ago, when the shows weren't so readily available, the conversation wasn't so readily available, what, how has the value of a fashion show changed for, for people like you? Is, is it the fact that you need to, the, the conversations that you have with your seatmate? Is it just the, the being there? What do you feel the need to be at every single thing compared to the need to be at every single thing, you know, pre, pre-style.com or pre-2010 maybe? I feel like to me, that's when things started to really change in 2008 or 2009. I mean, I don't, just as a, as a reporting tool, I don't think that there's any better than being at a fashion show and walking into that room and pretty much knowing that any anyone in the industry that you need to talk to, you will be able to hunt them down in person at some point during the day and more, and they won't be able to flee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's just the, the best thing. And I am never more delighted than when the seating means that I end up next to, you know, the president of like Bergdorf or something, because then I feel like I've just got this captive audience for a 30 minute wait in which I get to have a conversation about, you know, the industry with, you know, with someone that can be challenging to, you know, pin down for that amount of time just to sort of chit chat. Um, so that is an immeasurable um, value of the shows, you know, being able to have conversations with stylists and 
um, with other editors and with other designers who sometimes are at you know their friend shows. I think that's just that's immeasurable. Yeah, I think for those reasons, you know, it really does make the live show the essential or like the the easiest way to sort of like push through the marketing apparatus of fashion because there is this really significant canon of independent and emerging designers who aren't necessarily like plugged into, you know, a certain kind of marketing push around what it is that, that is interesting about what they're doing, uh, you know, right now. For example, like we've been sort of tracking what we're calling the yoji sans at GQ, um, because a lot of the younger designers we follow are really attuned to what Yoji is doing now um, and what he's been doing, you know, his looking through his archives. Um, and that's something that, you know, Yoji Yamamoto is, is not gonna like push a big marketing campaign in the way that an, a company under the LVMH umbrella, um, you know, might do something like that. Um, and so it's just essential to sort of be at those shows and talk to people in the room and see how like, you know, the energy is responding um, to a particular designer over, you know, a period of seasons. Tim, what what is the value of a fashion show for you now versus Back then. What Robin was saying, you know, that there's a cast of characters that you have totally easy access to. It used to be easier um, because I used to be backstage talking to hair and makeup and models and the whole panoply of people. Uh, that did kind of, I think the intrusion of PR changed that, 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 whole, that whole aspect of the industry quite a lot. Everything once everything was incredibly, con is well, everything is incredibly controlled. Um, and I feel, I feel what once that, once that had, once that had kicked in and once it wasn't just, oh, let's go backstage and talk to the designer, you know, it was also easy and oh, there's so-and-so and there's Bernardo Bertolucci and there's Twiggy or whatever, you know, it was just all this kind of the, the rich tapestry. I feel that the rich tapestry, tapestry got a little less rich. So I think in a funny way, everything became more focused on the actual catwalk, what was happening on the catwalk, which I suppose is a good thing in a way for the designers, provided they're putting something on the catwalk that merits your full attention. Because there were, there were some extremely mediocre designers who always had fabulous window dressing, you know, the, mm. their favorite actresses or their favorite, you know, or, or a mum and dad or something. That was always good, good copy. Um, and that, that kind of shifted a little bit. But I still, I, I think for me, it, it, it does all come down to what's on the catwalk. And I've seen like 15 million fashion shows in my time. And I will still look forward to seeing, to seeing them. I, I never, ever thought, oh, God, what am I doing with my life or anything? But um, I, I, I feel you, I feel... Ultimately, when I read Robin, or when I read Rachel, or when I read anyone who's writing about fashion, I'm reading their stories. And um, the better the storyteller, the more, the more I stay intrigued, entranced. Um, and, you know, that's the most you can hope, the, the best you can hope for is that a designer wants to tell you a really good story, I think. And there are mm -hmm. a lot more stories to tell now, so. Uh, Lots more. Makes sense. So I think that certainly it makes makes a lot of sense. I love reading your stories too. <laughs> 
Robin, Rachel, Tim, thank you all for doing this. It was so great. Thank you all. Thank Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis, regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person, too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. (coughs) Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.